This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I am Matt Fonslow, and once again, my presence, our presence, is graced by the Robert Dutch Silverstein. I don't even know if he needs to be introduced anymore because he's that guy. He's going to give me a lot of crap, but the reality is, is I've, I look up to this gentleman uh, very highly. I really hang on his every word. It just can't be overstated. He is quite literally one of those kind of legends in our uh, profession, which sounds really pompous uh, or maybe stuffy to say, but it's true. He's on top of so many different things, not just running a shop and not just uh, working with people, but also tech savvy. And that's a really rare combination, sir. Uh, I want to thank you again for being on. Um your podcast. Thank you for letting me host it. <laughs> Listen, you know, hearing you say those those wonderful things, none of which really are true. I'm a Luddite. It's true. My knowledge of, of technology is limited to only that which it takes for me to survive in the world. If you're looking for me to be on the forefront of technological advances, I'm not your guy, okay? I mean, I still enjoy doing stuff old school way because for 60-something years, that's just the way I've always done it. A lot of that old school stuff still works really well. It does. It absolutely does. Um, but, you know, I'm an anachronism. I'm a throwback. And, and there's, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of guys like me wandering around going, what the hell's going on in the country? What You know, what, what's going on with... This isn't the way that I remember America being, and, and you know, I feel like a fish out of water uh, a lot of the time. And not just the classic triple threat. He also has a tremendous command of the English language and vocabulary, so... Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I was never an athlete, so if you had a choice of, okay, you can have... Uh, Paul, because Paul's great, but you're going to have to take Rob too. That that was it. I was the weight that they were throwing on, you know, because I, I sucked at it. And coming from a family of teachers, uh, my mother and, and all, if there was in my house, we we actually did have a huge friggin' dictionary. And if there was a word I didn't understand, I couldn't ask my parents what it was because the reply was, look it up. That was the way it was. They weren't going to do for me. I had to do for myself. But Yeah, same. We had dictionary and we had a set of encyclopedias. And for those of you listening, some of you have maybe never even heard of those. Unless you've watched 8-Bit Christmas, there was a reference to encyclopedias. But these were books, uh, usually about 20 or more. And uh, you might have like the A's and the B's and the C's and depending on the situation. And it would have all sorts of information in it about countries, animals, religions, like you name it. Kind of explain how things were. Maybe there was an extra book that was primarily an atlas, maybe one that was primarily a human anatomy, stuff like that. But it was basically uh, the hardcover version of Google. <laughs> well, and the information was actually verified. So that was, it was the factual Google. Um, that was the Encyclopedia Britannica was uh, one of the, the larger, more well-known encyclopedias. And there were encyclopedias that were being sold door to door. And that was the, 
that was the big deal was that it, they were several hundred dollars for you to get a complete set. I think my mom made payments. Exactly right. You could go and, and get them and they would ship a volume to the house and then you made, <laughs> you paid for that volume and then you got the next volume. And they were like 26 or something. It was re- really ridiculous. But we had them in the house and, and the thesaurus so that you can look up, you know, and they wouldn't help you when, when I asked for, you know, just tell me how to spell it. Look it up. Well, I'm in a real thanking mood, so I'm going to quick thank our sponsor, Napa Auto Care. Accomplish more by starting now. That's the motto of Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care exclusively endorsed vendor. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will look at productivity, efficiencies, effective labor rate, average hours per car, labor profit percent, measure and manage labor, and how you can create net profit. Interested in Repair Shop of Tomorrow? Call 440 440- Five four five one two three zero for a free twenty minute no obligation consultation or contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. I will just tell you a quick story. It, it wasn't very dramatic, so some of this may come off dramatic. It really wasn't dramatic. You know, I need to cut back on how much soda I drink, uh, soft drinks, and I drink a lot of Diet Mountain Dew, and I just need to, I need to stop and. This isn't ultra scientific, but my parents are well into their 70s and very active and knock on wood. And I hope so. They continue to be very healthy and active. I had two grandfathers that lived well into their 80s. And I had two grandmothers that lived deep into their 70s. And I think maybe even early 80s. All of them active and healthy up to the bitter end. And they drank water and coffee. So Matt's deductive reasoning led him to decide that he should try to force himself, force himself to start enjoying coffee a little bit more. And I can't stand like Folgers or the Keurig. So the shop has a Keurig set up in the customer waiting area. It is completely available uh, for employees to use. If you like a little bit better K-cups or whatever, you can go buy your own. And there's a drawer you can put them in that people really won't steal from. Uh, but I just I could never enjoy it. And I don't much care for coffee anyways. I drink it pretty much straight black. And I found that if I go to like a caribou coffee or a Starbucks, uh, it's tolerable. So my reasoning was then that I needed to find a way to get whole bean coffee uh, and then a grinder and a coffee pot. And so I'm, you know, at the store looking and I find that... Uh, Cuisinart has has kind of an all-in-one where it grinds it and brews it right there. 12 cups. And, you know, at the time, you know, I don't think it was quite 200 bucks, but I buy this machine. I buy a few bags of coffee, bring it to work. And uh, I set it kind of in our break room and I set it all up and I brew some coffee and pour myself a cup and wander off into the shop and force myself to drink it. After I poured my cup, I kind of noticed that there was, I don't know, eight cups left or nine cups left. Go back in and it's like down to five. So whatever, I pour myself some more and kind of loop through the office and nobody nobody else really drinks much coffee. And one of the other techs that drinks coffee doesn't have any on him. But I do see my boss walking around with a cup of coffee. So I'm like, ah, interesting. Okay, whatever. 
finish doing what I'm doing, dropping keys off, grabbing new keys, swing through the break room, and I, I catch him in the act. I, I catch my boss in the act, pouring himself a cup of coffee. And I kind of look at him slant-eyed a little bit. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm giving him the evil eye or anything like that, but I'm kind of looking at him slant-eyed a little bit. And then he's like, oh, well, thanks. Thanks, thanks, thanks for what? Well, the coffee. And then me being me can't help but point out that there seems to be a sequence out of alignment. Like This is out of sequence. Typically, you wouldn't thank somebody until you're granted something. So I just kind of point that out. And there's no argument. We're not arguing. There's no raised voices. But it leads to this discussion about why that would seem proper or ethical or um, courteous. To walk into the break room, see a brand new coffee machine, seeing the bags of whole bean coffee and determining that it is a available to everybody, you know, have a, have a bit of a discussion. And I feel very strongly that his position in the company changes the rules. An employee, a fellow employee, it makes complete sense. It's very reasonable for them to walk into the break room, see all this new stuff and make an assumption, which I'm not saying any assumptions are good, or good, but make the assumption that this is company provided. But when you're the owner, you know you didn't buy it. You know it's not a company machine. So I guess I felt like the um, courteous thing to do, the proper thing to do would be to seek out whose it is. And then, you know, and this is me with some expectations of how things should be. And that's, that can be a horrible, horrible thing to do. But my line of thinking was as a, the owner, as the employer to seek the person that bought it and said, wow, I hadn't, you know, what's wrong? Is the Keurig not working or do you not like the Keurig or inquire about it a little bit and then be like, either a, can the shop purchase this from you? Or do you mind if I have some, I'll buy you know, the next bag of uh, beans, something of that nature. And that's really not what happened. I don't want to imply my feathers are ruffled, but I felt like this is interesting how rules change depending on where something is situated or what position you are in the company or um, what it is. The rules of uh, engagement kind of change. The rules of courtesy seem to change. And I found that fascinating. I found it fascinating. Uh, so, yeah, I was kind of busting on him a little bit about it. <laughs> you know, all of this is, has to do with expectations, right? I mean, and realistically, and the ideas of what constitutes common courtesy vary. I certainly understand, you, hey, I bought this, I brought it into the uh, break room. And when you did that, there was, for another employee... Even that other employee should ask, hey, listen, I see this new coffee maker. Did you bring that in or is that something that they supply? Right? I mean, that's just common courtesy because before I use it, it's new. I just want to make sure that it's okay. And he didn't bring that home for, he's not going to bring that home for his, his wife. Or, um, so he wants to try it out first, making sure it works, you know, or whose is this? What's going on with it? If, if I see something new, I'm nosy. So I want to know what the hell's going on with it. The reason it's called common courtesy, surprisingly, it's not that common, all right? You assume that it's common courtesy, but it, it, it's not. Now, let's pretend that you were able to take that coffee maker and you were going to place it on top of your work area, right? You have your toolbox and you set it in the hutch in your toolbox, 
if the owner at that point had walked over to your toolbox and made himself a cup without asking, I would be more inclined to to say, my own opinion is that he crossed a line, a boundary of space that, you know, that's in your toolbox. He went, he should have had at that point the common courtesy. But if you bring something into the break room, the implication is it's there for everybody. Common courtesy, in my view, would have said, no matter who uses it, fellow employee or owner, hey, what's going on with this? I would just ask. This is a matter, as we had alluded to earlier, of managing expectations, right? You manage your expectations with your clients. You manage your expectations with your fellow employees. And where you don't, that's when you have breakdowns in communication that can lead to hurt feelings, misunderstandings, etc., this wasn't a pimple on a gnat's ass worth of a real problem. This was a hurt your feelings more than it was a legitimate problem. You know, for me, a, a legitimate problem is someone through carelessness, incapacity, or neglect broke the machine and then didn't take accountability for it. Wasn't, you know, didn't say, hey, the carafe, I dropped it. That's the reason why it's broken. If he just walked in there and nobody said anything, that would be more upsetting to me than somebody used a coffee maker. But look where you put it. Proximity indicates everything, right? You put it in the break room. This means a lot more to you than just the fact that someone used an appliance of yours without asking for permission, you know, which is not something that he would ever be attuned to unless you had discussed it in the beginning. I have a great deal of fondness for you, but this ain't normal, kid. You know, I mean, this is, this is a minor speed bump and you've, you've uh, attributed all of this baggage that you're bringing with it to is what is essentially a minor transgression. Hey, somebody used my property without asking me for permission. That's the, 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 the underlying root of this. I felt taken advantage of or disrespected because someone used something of mine and which was brand new and I had thought about it and I had done it in order, you know, you had all the reasons behind you why you wanted to go ahead and do this and someone didn't show you the respect that you thought that you should have or the common courtesy or decency by asking you, hey, is it okay if I use this item and honor, further honor the reasons that you bought it? All right, because while it's certainly true that coffee is uh, can be used as, as a social lubricant, so can any... It, it, it doesn't matter if it's coffee, if it's tea, if it's water, if it's an alcoholic beverage, if it's come on, let's go out and grab breakfast. It's something that that is used to facilitate talking and communication. There's some sort of emotional tie that you have to this that, that we have to dig further to get. I mean, I don't feel like I'm emotional about it. I just feel like there's... Did you say that this is a rational response to someone using an appliance? I don't think it's a person. I think it's a position. Okay, so what was what was the position? Did he make fun of you? Did he seek to embarrass you? No, 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 no. His his position within the company. Oh, you mean a social hierarchy? Well, or professional hierarchy in this case. But yeah, there's a difference in correlation and causation, right? Is this a causation issue? I'm the boss, so I can take anything I want that's in this building or is it a correlation oh he thinks because he's the boss that he can do all this is that's the assumption on your part are you a repair shop owner do you find yourself struggling with any of the following uncertainty about the future and competition 
Are you spending too much time managing chaos and struggling with new employees? Do you lack time to invest in learning best practices or there's no time to spend on effective marketing? How do your finances look? Are you reactive rather than proactive? Do you know where you should be, when to grow, when to shrink? If any of those situations describe where you are today, you are finally in the right place. Repair Shop of Tomorrow is Napa Auto Care's newest endorsed partner. They are helping shops all over the nation run more profitable automotive repair shops by utilizing proven business best practice marketing and coaching to leverage Napa programs to drive quality, car count, sales, and profits. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will look at productivity, efficiencies, effective labor rate, average hours per car, labor profit percentage, measure and manage labor, and how you can create net profit. Team up with coaches to create systems, operations, and procedures using a business flowchart to help you reach your goals. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will help measure and manage the results to help each business succeed. Best of all, it's not do-it-yourself. It's all done for you. Their goal is to help dealers do what they do best, fix cars and build relationships at the counter and in the community. Repair Shop of Tomorrow will take the other minutiae off your plate. The Repair Shop of Tomorrow offers a tier-based program to not only generate more business today, but to transform your shop into a top-level shop of tomorrow. Repair Shop of Tomorrow can teach you how to make your shop profitable. They can teach you how to recruit and how to make more labor dollars for your shop. Interested in Repair Shop of Tomorrow? Call 440-545-1230 for a free 20-minute no-obligation consultation or contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. I was thinking more the correlation of I, as the owner, often provide these things for everyone. Donuts, the Keurig, the K-cups, the toilet paper. I, I buy lunch. And I think that that is the reasoning behind it is okay then for me to use other stuff. And I, I, I guess I just can't stress enough like this wasn't, it didn't end up like, there was any animosities going on or there was any hard feelings. It was really, really interested in it. Just the behaviors, how it correlates to something called uh sorieties paradox, uh, which some people would recognize it as being um, the heap paradox, the sand heap paradox. We're using a very specific situation here with a coffee pot, but there's others with tools and equipment and many, many different things. And I think the justification is, well, look at all the stuff I provide. It really isn't that much different. And that sends red flags up in my head. And it's not picking on him. Like now this all seems like Matt's really coming down hard on his boss. But I think it's a thought process that's much more widespread than just just him. He's just the subject of this tale. But I do think sometimes there's a big disconnect where it is not the same thing for a shop or business to provide something. And I get it as the owner, depending on the situation and the setup of the business, it may be actually yours or it may be technically the businesses. I don't think you can correlate the two. I think it's much different. The employee does not get nearly the benefit, not saying the benefits are so grand, but doesn't get the same benefit for providing something for the shop or anyone beyond themselves that the owner 
uh, or the shop or the business itself gets by providing that same thing? Well, it depends because certainly I would agree with you with regard to tax structure deductions. I mean, there's, you know, if we're talking about the financial benefit, but insofar as contributing to the culture. So you, now we'll, we'll have the example of the employee that goes out and uh, uses his coffee maker and has everyone use it. And the owner is an absentee owner. Does the owner receive any real daily benefit from using that? No, he might on occasion avail himself of the coffee maker. But if that coffee maker promotes good culture and has you know, people use that in the, in that way and they enjoy using it and the rest of the staff enjoys using it. Does not that employee benefit from having a more relaxed environment, a more focused environment or whatever environment is created because that appliance is there versus not being there? And as an employer, the employer provides a soda machine. Now, I had a, a number of vendors come over to my shop and they want to put a soda machine for the employees, whereas what I got out of it is nothing. And I had the privilege of dedicating floor space and paying for the electric bill. Well, I chose to provide a small refrigerator so that they can keep whatever beverage is there. And I go out and... I buy sodas every week, and if they want one or two, they can, you know, they can get them. What used to trouble me as an employer was I would buy sodas that were to be used for the refrigerator that we had in the lobby, and people would go bananas. I was buying, uh, going to Sam's every week because guys were, do, were drinking five and six and seven of these a day because they didn't have to pay for them. That's not why I bought them. I bought them for the People, I got you for a refrigerator so that you can, and I had to tell them, look, if you're going to, to take soda, that's cool. Replenish it because the soda is for the people up front and they have, you know, a coffee maker there if they want it and they can use the, the Keurig up front uh, because I have a regular coffee maker. And what it seems to me is, is that um, you felt imposed upon uh, by the owner and i just let it go man i mean owner has any owner has a right that he's is going to do what's best for his business hopefully and his employees if he gives a crap about them and if sometimes that gives him um in his mind or her mind absolute power well it does but they still have to be respectful i remember when i was a new co-pilot on the 737 200 uh one of the guys that there was an overhead panel, had a bunch of uh, instrumentation. It had lights and uh, switching panels, controls above us that went on the left and the right side above the captain and the co-pilots. And I'll never forget what he did was, <laughs> it was brand new on the 200. Captain sat down, looked at me, looked at the overhead, drew an imaginary line between us right down the center from the front of the along the longitudinal axis of the airplane from the front of the nose all the way to the tail and he pointed with his hand and he said you see everything on this side of the line he goes that's all mine and then he pointed to the other side and he said you see everything on that side of the line that's all mine unless i say you can touch it okay so there's some of that that same 
I think you're seeing some of that, that same, or you're reading some of that same attitude in your employer who believes that he's entitled to whatever it is that you bring into the uh, shop because he's the employer. Part of it was, didn't think about it. And I felt like with his position in the company, knowing that he didn't buy it, that it had to be an employee did it. That was for me kind of the big hang up. Now, I think something that has to be brought up with all of this is this equation flips around and far too often anything the employer and I want to I'll link the employer and the shop together, right? Somebody is calling the shots on what's getting purchased. There's many things, tools, equipment, anything that helps, like you said, helps the culture, helps the work environment, improves it far too often is either not appreciated at all because there's a little bit of entitlements we're talking about here too, right? A little bit. And employees far too often can feel very entitled to what they have and what, what the shop provides and they don't take care of it. Like nothing, nothing drives me up the wall more than people stepping on cords. So I got my test leads laying from the car to my, uh, you know, interface, my picoscope or whatever. And somebody walks between the two and steps on the test leads just drives me bonkers. The other thing is laying cables or really anything on a scope or a scan tool screen and the shop paid for it. Well, there's mine. If it's mine and it's really bad, but honestly, I'm still lighting somebody up if it's the shop's equipment too. Cause I, I just can't stand it. It's so, I suppose, discourteous doesn't respect the equipment, doesn't respect that has been provided to us to be able to do our jobs better. We spend however much resurfacing the floor. Maybe it's epoxied, maybe it's tiled, maybe it's just seal coating or whatever that makes it easier to clean. We don't take care of it. You know, we finally get that powertrain table. It doesn't get taken care of. It's a, it's a dirty mess. That drives me bonkers. Just the same. It's we feel like, well, yeah, the shop gave it to us, uh, gave it to us to use, so we could do our job better. But we're not really obligated to clean it. I mean, that's that's got to be somebody else's job. It definitely goes both ways. So people kind of got to check themselves before they wreck themselves too on that. I think the other thing is, I I grew up, and this could be bad, with expectations that with the my grandpa owning the farm implement dealer. We're at his farm and there was some brush that needed to be cleared out. And he had this old, really just a limbing saw, kind of almost a arborist home light. It sucked. 12 inch bar. It, I hated it. And I'm like, well, why don't we run back to the implement and grab one of the, one of those chainsaws, you know, new or used. He's like, looks at me like I'm crazy. Those are the shops. Well, yeah, but you own the shop. Those are the shops that pick up over there. That's the shops, you know, and there's a big difference between what was his, what was the shops and that has always kind of resonated with me that there is a separation between the two and whether there should be or not. I, I felt like there should be, that's a good way to think about it. That might feed some of the um, curiosity and interest in that situation. I had similar circumstances with 
and we can see this, it's pretty with owners with loaner cars. Some owners really legitimately don't care about the loaner cars at all. They look at them as an asset to be utilized and they recognize that things are going to happen to them. And while unfortunate, they simply don't get upset about it. They, they don't. Something happens to one, you know, gets into an accident, is returned without gas. Somebody smoked in it when they weren't supposed to. It's like, yeah, yeah, people suck. And they, and they go on. I had many loaner cars and I got rid of them because these were cars that I had maintained for many years and um, they're my customers and then we've given the opportunity to buy them when they wanted to get new ones or if there was something that they didn't want to pay for, I would offer to buy it out. And I had, and it seems silly, but an emotional attachment to these cars. And I recognized that they were cars. They were never going to be able to reciprocate feelings or anything. But I expected that if you took someone's property that you were going to take care of it with as good or better care than if it were your own. And I soon discovered, much to my dismay, that people are pigs and that people who return them without being pressured as to return it with gas, right? And people who are going to return them on time and people that are going to return them without being littered with lunch, or, you know, or candy wrappers, the customers who may be good customers insofar as paying on time and going through recommendations and approving repairs, it just wasn't worth it for me. So essentially I got rid of them because it would be aggravating to me that I don't understand why the simple common courtesy we need the car back at this time. Your vehicle will be ready. We'll confirm you it's going to be ready. We need to have the car back here so that we can dispatch it to someone else. And it didn't matter how many I got. I started out with one and then two and then three and more. And the more I got, the more they were being used. So there was never the, oh, okay, Mrs. Jones, we, we have one um Someone was supposed to return it at 12. They didn't. It's okay. It's one o'clock. We have a, a, another one for you. They were always out. And because they were always out, it put us back in the bind. So I just don't offer that service anymore because it really troubled me to see the amount of disrespect that people had for another person's property. Just the lowest level of courtesy. Return it with at least the same amount of fuel you left with. Don't leave it a mess. Don't. Don't take your dogs and cats to the vet in it. Or if you do, clean it up. And I never even knew you did it. Uh, I agree. I would be uh, it's just frustrated and disappointed that uh, that is how people operate. <laughs> I have problems with people who don't care about equipment. There's a certain amount of breakage that's to be expected when you're working in a shop environment, things, tools are going to break. But the stuff that, that fails because of carelessness, incapacity, or neglect irks the living crap out of me. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Not everybody thinks the same way. Not everybody acts the same way. And you have to ask yourself on balance, what does this person bring to the table? Were they, did they regret that it happened? Were they accountable for it and said, look, I screwed up? I remember once online with Paul Danner, with Scanner Danner, I, I got into him because he said a technician should never be responsible for his mistake and financially responsible. 
And there were certain things that were simply unavoidable. And I conceded and I said, that's, that's absolutely right. There are things that are unforeseen, unavoidable, you can't do anything about. And those, when that happens, the financial burden should fall squarely on the shoulders of the owner. But if it's something that the tech caused through carelessness, incapacity, or neglect, in my view, that tech should be responsible for it. A tech is taking a car and he's backing it out of the service bay and he's on his phone and he hits a piece of equipment. Is that my fault as the owner? So why should I incur the cost of that repair? He's the pilot in command of that ship. Isn't it his responsibility when he goes to move it to make sure that the the area is free and clear when he goes to move it out? I mean, there's thousands and thousands of examples that you can give. Now, there's people who say, well, that's, you know, nobody's perfect. Well, you're right. Nobody, nobody is perfect. No question about it. But the object is to reduce the likelihood that an imperfection is going to cause you a problem, right? And saying that no one is perfect cannot be a general excuse for engaging in all manner of behavior, which is inappropriate. For me, like a managerial position, and I'm not saying this would be hundred percent across the board, but there is a big difference between somebody, like you said, they back something out, they're on their cell phone, they're not paying attention hit a piece of equipment, get the car outside, check it, no damage to the car, park it, drop the keys off, don't say anything to anybody. Or wait a few hours or the next day or the next week and say, hey, boss, whatever piece of equipment is bent up, you know, what? what's going on there? There's a big difference between that and the guy who does it and then walks into the office just hat in their hands kind of and like, I made a I made a mistake. I, I did something very very stupid. Again, there's like you said, like there's variations of this, or there's more to it than one single instance. What's the history of this person and stuff like that? But there's a big difference between that and you know the other, where they are trying to avoid responsibility at all costs, whatever it takes to not be responsible, or just assume that responsibility falls on the shop and or owner. Rather than coming in, I made a make, made a big mistake. What do I got to do to make this right? When my employees have screwed up, I've never made anybody pay for it. Because to a man, they came in and said, I screwed up. What do we do? Taking ownership, accountability, that ultimate accountability, that's worth something to me. That has got a value to it. But I, I wouldn't hesitate to do it. Now, there are going to be those that say, well, that's illegal. Well, it depends if they have an employment contract or not, and if that's in their employment contract. The lazy, fair attitude of, well, the apathetic, well, that's why you have insurance. Yes, you have insurance, but that's not a no-cost item. If you file an insurance claim, aside from the deductible that you're going to have, depending on the frequency of the uh, and amount of insurance claims are presented, he can find himself in a pool where the insurance the following year costs three times as much as it did the previous year, where you're going up from 5000 to 15000 or 6700 up to $21,000 for the same level of insurance. So it's not without a cost. Guys think like, oh, it's not a big deal. You just, you know, yeah, it was tough and yeah, I shouldn't have been on my phone, but uh, it's all right. That's why there's insurance. Well, the insurance is 
a backup protection. It's not the primary source of protection. Primary source of protection is your eyes and situational awareness. You're going to get a lot of hate mail because of this. There's going to be a lot of people going to be berailing on you about my attitude about this. No, I, I find that suggestion uh, with the insurance or whatever about as absurd as you're giving me a bunch of crap about drinking your coffee. Uh, you're fired. I find that on par is about the same level of absurdity. That really must be the straw that broke the camel's back where some some employee has done repeatedly done something which, you know, for whatever reason, the employer just uses this as an excuse to get rid of them. I guess I would chalk it up similarly to what you're saying, that there's an expectation of how an employee interacts with the boss. I also feel like when it's online like that, this is what I would do if it's your shop. What I would do at my shop would be different. And I'm not saying they would roll over or anything like that. That would be so much different, but it probably wouldn't be quite as um, aggressive. Keyboard warriors. People get all sorts of riled up behind the keyboard. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Or they're one of those really lucky shops that just has a uh, file drawer full of applicants waiting to come work for them. I, you know, I have not solved that riddle yet. That's one of the things that we should talk about at a future date, how the current environment which techs find themselves in have really affected their soft skills because they feel like they don't have to try as hard. Yeah, I would love to talk about that because I agree. Power is something I think about a lot of. Uh, I think it's something the American education system and society in general doesn't think about or talk about nearly enough as power. That's how we could talk about a lot of negative things, a lot of isms based off of uh, power and who has it and what it is. And uh, I think now we're finding that techs, employees have a little bit of power and, you know, power corrupts. And I'm not saying they're all turning into bad apples, but it's starting to get, or not starting, it is, or it's getting abused a little bit. Show up a little late. Leave a little early. What, what are you going to do? Fire me? I'm going to be out of a job for 30 minutes and you'll spend a year trying to replace me. Okay. The entitlement attitude. You know, revenge is, is sweet. You know, I got treated like crap for all those years. Never mind that they agreed to do this. So now uh, I have some leverage. I'm going to exercise it and do what's best for me. Yeah, and it's a pendulum, right? It's going to start swinging the other way. The pendulum will swing no matter what we do, but can we make it not swing so wildly? Like, and when it swings our way, you know, what we'll do I, I know this would, everybody will come over and drink all your wonderful fresh ground coffee and then bring you Maxwell house to go along. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just an interesting concept. Honestly, when I talk about it with people, I am not trying to throw anyone under the bus at all. It, you know, maybe it would have been smarter to make it more hypothetical, uh, but it really did happen. And I found it, I just found it interesting. I found it turned into a bit of a social experiment. I didn't set it up that way. There's no intent on my part of trapping anybody or, but it just seemed to me to become an interesting example of social constructs and how I felt things change depending on the location of what we're talking about. So the coffee machine, if it's on my box, different rules. If it's in the break room, different rules. If it's in the customer waiting area, different rules. Position within 
you know, professionally hierarchy in the company, the rules change and some of them should a little bit and some of them maybe shouldn't, but they do. And it's not heinous by any stretch of the imagination, but they do. And it's interesting to think about. Well, I really, really do appreciate you coming on and uh, having this discussion. And I, you know, I suppose maybe I'm trying to oversell it, but I just, I felt like it was a worthy discussion and I so very much appreciate your perspective. And, you know, I, I enjoy these discussions. I, I, I must admit to being somewhat perplexed. I didn't think it was that big of a deal until you started kind of explaining it. For me, it was just a, a simple respect issue and a lack of consideration. Um, but, you know, you were able to, to raise some good questions about the expectations of owner versus employee. You know, everything in this building is, is mine. Look at what all I do for you. And what do you mean you're going to begrudge me this coffee? If not verbalized that way, but there's that feeling. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. It's really just boiling down to respect and courtesy and do unto others, really. Do unto others the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay. Well, there's there's even a, there's a more restrictive version of that. And if you think about it, and you really have to think about it, it makes a lot more sense. Do not do unto others that which you would have them not do unto you. That's the bigger way, in, in my view, that's the, the better. It took me a really long time to understand there was a difference because for years I thought, you know, especially growing up, it's just, they just flipped the equation, but it means the same. It, it actually doesn't. That's kind of the way that I, I try to, when I'm doing with, with other people's property and stuff, I, you know, what am I going to do? What would drive me bananas if somebody were to borrow this? Well, I'm not going to do that to somebody else. I'm just not. For those who enjoyed this, great. If you didn't, too bad. Don't care. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you know, that's the beauty of being my age. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> Tanner and I did an episode and we we're talking about unsung heroes. And you're kind of one of those guys where there's the stuff we see. There's the stuff on social media and some professional forums, or if we run into you, you know, expo or trade show or uh, classes, there's other, other stuff that is not so well known about what you do to help people out in this profession. And you are a gift. Uh, I kid you not. I'm not trying to kiss your tail or anything like that, but you are an absolute gem. And uh, I just hope people realize uh, just how big a deal you really are. And if they get a chance to meet you, to just shake your hand and say something nice. I've been given a lot. Uh, I just pay it forward. And I try to set the example to help other people pay it forward. And the beauty of, of, of being inherently lazy like I am is that I don't have any ambition. All I really want to do is my core mission, which is to help other people. That's it. I don't care about the credit. Um, I don't care about being in, on the front of some magazine cover. I, I don't. I don't care about you know being this. The, you know, a, a big wig in the industry or a big uh, a big fish in a little pond or whatever the hell. I don't. I don't care. I just want to make sure that we move the profession forward, and I'm a good soldier, and I do what I need to do to help families, um, technicians, and, and other owners better their lives just trying to leave the blue marble better when I exit than when I entered it. 
that's that's it. And if you do that and you don't worry about any sort of a claim and you really don't chase if their ambition in that particular venue, um, your life gets richly rewarded. If I end up with a chance uh, at owning a shop, uh, you're the bar. You're the you're the one oh, I'm chasing. No. You're the one I want to. You're the one I want to be. Go like. after Seth Thorson. Go after a lot. <laughs> yeah. right. Go after a lot of guys. He's too close. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Go after there are a lot of guys that are really. You know, if you want to be a multi-store operator, you know, there's a lot of really, really, really good guys. Far too many for me to to name who run excellent, excellent, excellent shops. You know, I'm, right now I've got a. a it's a shop, and I got two techs looking continue to look for my third tech again, um, a writer, and a CSR. It's a small little shop. You know, we're a million dollar a year shop. I'm not, I'm not setting any uh, the world on fire with that. I just do things a little differently, and consequently, it makes it tough to staff because you have to have people that want to do things old school way customer driven way and it's not it's not that easy to find because of the uh, frequency which coaches and all push people towards a transaction based business model you know sacrificing short term uh, profitability for long term relationships is not something that's taught you know you want to get the money now get all you can while you can and move forward, you know. I mean, I can't do it that way. That's not that's not the business model. That's not what would make my father proud. All right, we morphed into something else. Anyway, uh, yes, we did. <laughs> you can edit all this out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you again to Dutch for coming on here and just offering his thoughts. It means a lot to me. Hopefully, you enjoyed this episode. If you have uh, any ideas for future episodes or would like to be on the podcast, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find on social media, uh, Instant Messenger. You can also email me at mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com. And once again, thank you to Napa Auto Care for really making this uh, podcast possible. And thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for also making this podcast possible. So until next time, everybody, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com. 